Ladies and gentlemen, ghosts and ghouls, creepies and crawlies, you're listening to WHOO 98.6 for White State University. My name is Mirkala, Callie for short, and Mirkala Carmilla Lafanu Karnstein for long. I hope everyone is having just a wonderful end to their semester. The semester break is right around the corner, as is the new year. So buckle down and get your last assignments done and study hard for those finals. I hope everyone is taking care of themselves. Remember to hunt three meals a day, drink plenty of blood, preferably the no-sugar stuff, and get as much rest as you can, whatever that looks like to you. Speaking of rest, the sun is very nearly risen, meaning it's time for you to make your way back dormward. Although, let's be real, you're probably already holed up in your room with your textbooks and laptops and ancient papyrus scrolls of incantations nearly lost to time. If you're still hunkering down at the library, you better scuttle, fly, or speedwalk menacingly back to your dorm, or be prepared to stay the night. With finals coming up, curfew is the last thing you want to be worried about, and if you fail to observe curfew, it will be. This show is called Human Stories. As the foremost student in our Human Studies program, okay, I'm the only student in the Human Studies program, but that still makes me the foremost. I bring you a delightful tale from the world of humans as a little treat before you call it a day. Most people use this show as a kind of white noise to get into trance or enter a hypnotic state, so to speak. Not a vampire one, because, like, mass hypnosis would probably get me expelled. But for final seasons, feel free to put me on as background noise so you have something to ignore while you work. Or take this as a well-earned break and give your brain some rest and learn about something new outside of whatever your field of study is. I know it sure isn't humans. But before we dive in, a few announcements from the faculty. The faculty would like to remind students that the schedule for finals week is available now. Please take the time to thoroughly examine it to work out when you will be testing as soon as possible as it takes about 36 hours for your nescient undergraduate brains to comprehend the runes. To access the schedule, please bring your phone, laptop, haunted notebook, or other device to the almighty white statue at the center of campus, kneel before it, and think of three things you like about yourself. The executive board is trying to encourage student self-esteem and mental health. Of course, don't pick anything you like too much, as you will immediately forget it as part of your sacrifice. You should block out for about 20 minutes, any more or any less, and please contact health services, and the schedule should now be a loose PDF in your device, or have appeared as though a charcoal grave rubbing in your haunted notebook. Remember to thank the Almighty White and any notebook ghosts for good luck. Physical copies are posted on all bulletin boards in dorm buildings, academic buildings, and the library, alongside an immaterial copy for the incorporeal. Once you have the schedule, go ahead and find your class start time and the corresponding rune, and etch that rune into the back of your hand, forearm, knee, or any body part that is large enough. And if you have to ask whether a body part is large enough, it isn't. Go ahead and stare at that rune or series of runes until your vision goes blurry and you should wake up only a little dazed 36 hours later. Don't worry, you didn't lose that time. You just forgot everything that happened during it. You picked up your mail, you went to class, you studied, and you remember all the information. You just don't remember how it happened. Were you in your room or the library? Were you with friends 
were all alone. Your friends know. They described everything that happened. Every joke you made and every witty thing you said. You were charming. You were electric. They had the most fun with you they've ever had. But you don't remember. How can you trust this impression of a you that you never knew? How can you know if you will ever captivate your friends like that again? Will they grow bored of you? Were they already growing bored? Was that really you? Is the you you are now really you? Who are you? Who are you, David? Um, that last bit felt a little... targeted. Let's move on. As we move into finals week and the final week of the year, faculty would like to remind students that if this is your last semester with us, there are a couple of things you should do before officially moving out. 1. Clear out all furniture and personal belongings, including any desks, chairs, shelves, coffins, crypts, closet portals to other worlds, dog beds, and fridges you brought yourself before leaving campus. 2. Clear all food items and cookware from communal kitchens. This includes severed heads, hands, legs, eyeballs, wings, and whole unsevered bodies. 3. Check in with your advisor to make sure you really are leaving, like you're ready to graduate. It's winter, there's a bug going around, and it latches onto your brain and lays eggs in the hippocampus, implanting false memories. You might not be on track to graduate early. You might not be the major you thought you were. You might not even go to this school. Get vaxxed, people. 4. Check in with your RA to drop off your keys and say goodbye. Oh, that's so sad that some of us are leaving White State forever soon. Say what you will about the food, the professors, the party scene, the sanitation, the rituals, the noise, the curfew, the workload, the fact that everything you have to access, no matter how small, is hidden behind an elaborate, time-consuming ritual, the other students, how bad we are at sports, etc. But I love it here. They say that these are the best years of our lives, all hundreds and hundreds of them. You know, I'm graduating soon myself. Well, soon is relative. Vampire soon is not the same as eldritch god soon, or insect person soon, or even human soon. But I'm saying goodbye one of these days. Assuming the shaky foundation of the human studies department doesn't collapse under me, that would be awkward. But I'd build it back up, like I always do. Anyway, let's talk paid ads. The SGA is giving out finals week care packages. Stop by the dining hall to pick one up. They come in different sizes, with the larger ones being geared towards those of us with multiple body parts. Because a single face mask just isn't gonna do it for a ten-headed demon, now is it? Feel free to exchange fuzzy socks for different sizes, snacks for different dietary needs, and blankets for heat lamps for the cold-blooded. The SGA is here to support you and your journey towards the end of the semester. They've also got fidgets, stim toys, smelling salts, and candles. The candles are flameless, meaning they're operated by modern magic, not ancient, unexplainable magic like normal fire is, so it doesn't burn with a real flame, making it very conducive to a multi-monster school like ours. Man, I wonder if we'll ever figure out how fire works. They also include those little massagey things for your shoulders to ease that tension, and little study timers to make sure you're taking breaks. Stretch your legs, stretch your back, stretch your other legs, stretch your eyes if you have them. 
Focus on something 20 feet away for 15 seconds. Focus on something about 10 inches away for 15 seconds. And repeat until your eyes water, bleed, or excrete any other fluids that you aren't supposed to have. The SGA has compiled a little book of exercises like this to keep your body from aching, atrophying, or dissolving from this mortal plane and leaving you a mere concept in other people's minds, soon to be forgotten, scrubbing you from existence forever. There's also slime! Grab yours right outside the claw in the dining hall today. Alright, let's look at some letters. If you'd like to send us a letter, go ahead and email humanstoriespod at gmail.com. We have other ways to reach us, but most of the school's incantation channels are down because of exams week. I hope that didn't take any freshmen by surprise, but most incantation channels stop working in order to maximize spell bandwidth for students working on final projects or in the middle of exams. All that activity really just clouds up the airwaves and makes everything slower, and we don't want that. So clubs and student organizations like us take their channels down to support other students. It's frustrating because you have to actually walk places to turn stuff in and correspond with others like it's the bloodstone age. Or you could use the internet, but all the praying and chanting and prostrating can get laborious. You're supporting fellow students, Callie. You're helping others. Okay, this letter, an email this time, comes from Larry. Hi, Larry. Larry is a sophomore and a dungeon management major. Larry writes, Dear Callie, I've got a couple questions for you. Okay. And a couple of notes. Okay. So, I'm a skeleton, so I come from the very humans you study. That's true. A lot of us have our ancestral origins in humans, maybe more so than we realize. I have done some research myself into humans and their culture. I'm kind of the human expert among my friends. Well, it's so nice to hear others with a similar interest. I hope you find it as fascinating as I do. For example, did you know that bones, such as those of skeletons like myself, produce blood? There's a squishy substance in bones called bone marrow that creates blood. Yes, I did know that. Believe it or not, anatomy is one of the first things we study in the program, and the bloodier aspects are, predictably, some of my favorites. Skeletons like me produce blood too but it just gets stored in our bones until we die, upon which it evaporates into the air. Okay, well, that's not quite true. Um, that's a common misconception. Skeleton bone marrow doesn't produce blood at all. After having evolved to no longer need it, skeleton's genes simply mutated to stop producing it. It's like the opposite of vestigiality uh, when your body evolves past the need for an organ but keeps it, like the appendix or wisdom fangs. Instead of that, Skeletons just stopped directing energy to producing blood because they didn't need to. You should check your sources. That's kind of common knowledge. Anyway, one more human fact. Humans have a specific word for defenestration, the act of throwing someone out a window. Bet you didn't know that. What? So do we. You just said it. You just typed it in your email. We also have that word. How is that noteworthy? Or... You know what? I guess I didn't explicitly, specifically know that. Thank you, Larry. And your question? Nope, that was the question part. Not really questions, more just like spitting incorrect facts at me. The next part is the note. I think you spend too much time discussing the sweet, wholesome human stories. 
I prefer the stories that are gory and violent and upsetting. They show that humans are just like us. Have you read, perhaps, The Yellow Wallpaper? Or The Cask of Amontillado? Spelled wrong. They're human stories that are more akin to our typical bedtime stories and folk tales. Humans really can be just as intelligent and creative as us. You should really familiarize yourself with these stories before you claim to be a human expert. Love the show. Your semantic skeleton, Larry. Okay. Good question. I do know those stories. I've been studying humans for hundreds of years. I know those stories. I specifically choose stories that are different to us to showcase that humans don't have to be like us at all in order to be intelligent or creative. I see much of myself in humans all the time. But they also aren't like us. They like the gory and the gross, sure. But they also like things like community and friendship and generosity that we don't really think about. How can I claim that humans are just like us but lamer when the truth is so much more interesting? And either way, our culture has a narrow-minded focus on the gruesome that I find reduces our own capacity for... Another time. Right now, it's time for a human story. And this one's extra sweet, just for you. This story is about hospitality and respect and giving even when you have nothing left to give. For humans, magic existed only in stories, as they were too primitive to harvest it in earnest, and could only dream about miracles and blessings they might someday be graced by. This story comes to us from a time when humans believed in gods that lived in the clouds and walked the earth. These gods had great power, which they exercised in acts of cruelty and of kindness. This story is, funnily, about both. This story is called Baucis and Philemon, or The Miraculous Pitcher. This story begins in a thriving village. This village was nestled in a verdant valley, surrounded by fields and meadows and covered in thatched roofs. The inhabitants were busy, self-driven people, each set on uplifting themselves over others. They kept their food close and doors slammed shut, fearful they wouldn't have enough to feed themselves each night. They always do. Humans live in a delicate balance between trust and selfishness, for they're so individualistic that they live primarily for themselves, but have to rely on those around them in order to thrive. This is why it's important to keep humans in tight-knit yet spacious communities, lest they start showing territorial behaviors. This particular community was spacious enough, but no one household or street felt any particular feeling of community to each other beyond perhaps a common roof. That is, of course, except for one thatched roof on the very edge of town. In this home, love and generosity thrived beyond the elderly couple's simple means. This couple were called Baucis and Philemon. One crisp January evening, as the sun was setting into the cold, unforgiving night of winter, Two unassuming figures picked their way down unpaved streets, knocking on thick, solid doors and begging for something to eat. Household after household turned them away, claiming they had no food or no room at the table. The two travelers, father and son, 
knew this was not true, but they moved on anyway. One after another, each house turned them away. Though neither their stomachs or their bones ached, they went on, begging for something to fill the bellies they did not have. Eventually, they came to the thatched roof of a leaning cottage on the outskirts of town, a humble property with humbler owners. The father winked at his son. He felt good about this one. When they knocked, the door was flung wide by an olive-skinned man with smile lines all down his cheeks. He smiled now as he asked what the strangers needed. Please, the father said. I am an old man. My son is young but wounded in the ankles. We cannot work and have nothing to our name but the clothes on our backs. Have you anything to spare? Or could you shield us from the bitter cold? Of course, good traveler, Philemon replied, welcoming the two into the one-roomed house. Please, warm yourselves by the fire. As the strangers entered, Philemon couldn't help but notice that the young man's ankles were marked with some sort of scar resembling a feather. His walking stick, too, was etched with what resembled wings at the top. Still, the young man was of great spirits, walking with pep that nearly raised his feet off the ground. Philemon bade them both to sit around the hearth, where Baucis stoked the fire. Baucis was round in face and body, and had eyes crinkled with laughter. She welcomed the two strangers with a beaming smile, and stepped aside to make room for them at the hearth. "'We have already eaten, so I am afraid there is not much, but I would be happy to fix whatever I can for you in a moment,' Baucis said. "'Please take a seat at the table whenever you are ready. It is only large enough for three of us, but I am happy to sit by the fire.' "'No, wife,' said Philemon. "'Your back will ache. You sit at the table.' I will sit at the fire. Before Baucis could open her mouth to protest, however, the younger traveller stepped in. Actually, I believe it shall be large enough for all of us. And as soon as he said it, the couple turned, and their naughty, worn table had grown large and sturdy, as though made from imported mahogany. Huh, Baucis said. In that case, please sit. I'll be out with food in a moment. Philemon chatted with the strangers, finding the younger loquacious and the elder dignified. He asked their names, but the young man only smiled wryly. My name is spelled by the metal that runs like water, and his can only be pronounced by the thunderclouds. Philemon shrugged. Must be Persian. Baucis turned back to them with two plates strewn with what little they could offer. Two small hunks of bread, and two nearly barren grapevines. This is a nutritiously inadequate diet for a human. Human diets should be larger and more diverse, and must be supplemented with food shaped like triangles, as an effigy to their deity of satiety, the food pyramid. This is why humans worship Doritos, even though it makes their blood all cheese-dusty. Baucis poured the two wine and apologized for their humble meal as they dined. I feel terrible, but this is all we have. Nonsense, the young man said. Because you have given us so much when you have so little, this meal is fit for the gods. Might I have some more wine, Mother Baucis? Baucis was too embarrassed to notice that she had not yet given the young stranger her name. 
I am sorry, but I have poured everything there is in the pitcher. You may look. It is empty. Really? Well, I find it's quite full. Overflowing, in fact. And somehow, to Bosis and Philemon's great awe, the young man poured two new cups of wine for himself and his father. Bosis peered in. It was empty a moment ago, but as she looked, it was full to the brim. As the night wore on, the four of them poured cup after cup of wine, and the pitcher never ran dry. The travelers regaled them with tales of heroes and monsters, derogatory. Bausis and Philemon laughed like young lovers again. Well, the older traveler said, I'm afraid we must be off. Oh, no, Philemon said. It is late, and the night is dark and cold. You cannot travel like this. Please stay the night. We will be fine, the young man said, cocking his eyebrow playfully. In fact, we would ask that you join us outside. The couple started to wrap themselves in cloaks, but the young man stopped them and bade them outside. The night was indeed as dark and cold as Philemon had said, but neither felt a thing. With the stars as their backdrop, the two travelers shed just their cap and their cloak. The young man's ankles sprouted snowy white wings, and the old man's beard rolled out magnificently into a gray, cloudy mass. Witnessing only this fraction of their true form would have knocked Bowsus and Philemon to their feet, and they not immediately lain prostrate before the two gods. Rise, said the elder. You may look upon us and not burn to ash. For your kindness in the face of the cruelty around you, the winged god said, we bless you with the overflowing pitcher, and when the flood raises the valley village to the ground tomorrow, you will find yourselves elevated on a hill, with your lives spared, tending a temple to my father for the rest of your mortal lives. You may ask one boon of me, the bearded god said. You have my thanks. We have nothing to ask for. We need nothing but our humble home and each other, Philemon said. Yes, each other. Although... Bausus glanced over at Philemon, then back to the gods. Her mind raced. Each other. Yes, said the god, whose voice boomed like thunder. You may have that as well. May have what? But when Philemon looked back to the gods, they were gone. Two overbright stars twinkled down at them. Bausus smiled. The gods were right. There was a flood, and they were saved. And they did spend the rest of their lives tending the temple that had sprouted there like a grapevine. And when Bausus's knee grew too weary to hold her aloft, she lay down to die, right next to her husband, Philemon. That night, two thin yet strong trees sprouted there, an oak and a linden tree, as old as if they had always been there, and their branches intertwined, holding one another, so that Bausis and Philemon were never without each other. Oh, wasn't that so sweet? 
to have each other and hold each other for the infinity that humans can never know? Well, <laughs> I like it. You get back to studying. Or maybe you're already asleep. Good for you. Take care of yourselves. Good night, White State. Good night. Unpleasant dreams. <laughs>